tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Diabolical Minds. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert. And this is a very special edition of Reenacted. As we delve into the depths of the diabolical minds. Diabolical minds. Oh, I was trying to do it at the same time as you. Oh, sorry. I, I should have. I, 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 I started to slow it out, but, um, but yes, oh. but I, 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 I guess we should have planned that out <laughs> before before I jumped. I in. think we did pretty well for people who were just, uh, you know, just jumping right in. This is, uh, this is a very special episode. Because of the diabolical minds. Diabolical minds. Involved. Yeah. It's, it is a di- <laughs> diabolical mind-centered episode. Uh, each of the... Mm-hmm. Oh, of Unsolved Mysteries. Of Unsolved Mysteries. Right? Yes. Not just some random thing we decided to talk about this time. <laughs> no, right, right, right. Uh, don't be confused. Uh, I know there's people out mm-hmm. there who get upset if we veer off of UM too much. But this, no, this is... Um, at least on YouTube, it's season four, episode 23. But when I was trying to look up the episode, it seemed like it may have aired earlier in season four uh, when it actually broadcast on TV. Who knows? Eh, mm-hmm. It's 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 weird. But uh, yes, so this whole 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 episode, it's it's themed to diabolical minds. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't now, Rombi. What is a diabolical mind, according to Unsolved Mysteries? Uh, basically, you know, Unsolved Mysteries. But like, basically, if you took a circle, okay, and you said that it was a Venn diagram, and then you mm-hmm. said that this circle represents psychopaths, sociopaths, and diabolical minds. Mm-hmm. That is that is what it is. Okay. So I was curious because they seem to be interchangeably throwing around the word psychopath and sociopath a lot and unsolved mysteries without explaining really what either one meant. Not a psychopath, not a high-functioning sociopath. Do your research. Right. They did talk to, uh, for a moment, they did talk to a psychologist. I think it was at the beginning of the episode to kind of break down what the characteristics of a sociopath or a psychopath would be. So I thought this was just Unsolved Mysteries being sloppy because I'm like, these are two different things. Mm-hmm. So then I uh, went went over to the old googly and I started looking up the DSM uh, definitions. Yeah. Both psychopathy and sociopathy are lumped into the uh, antisocial behavioral disorder category. Okay. And um, there there isn't really a clinical distinction. Oh. So um, sometimes like the DSM, the DSM is the, the, you guys can look this up. I mean, I'm sure we all took psychology 101, but like the DSM is sort of the manual for diagnosing psychological uh, problems. And uh, they, there's some discussion around like psychopathy is the more advanced version <laughs> ah. or violent version of sociopathy. So sociopathy doesn't necessarily... Uh, present itself violently but the like all the defining characteristics and criteria for diagnosing somebody with that kind of disorder are similar 
So I just, I wanted to get that out of the way at the top because I thought Unsolved Mysteries was just being goofy and they're not. So it all falls under the antisocial behavioral disorder then of diabolical minds. Thank you for researching that because I was also kind of being like, oh, there goes Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> sloppy with their stuff. Yeah, but- no. <laughs> they, uh, the, uh, well, they're they're diagnosing it as diabolical minds. <laughs> they're still not quite, um, but you know, for 1992 or whatever the hell, it's it's close enough. So they did okay here, and I think to their credit, they did bring on um, a, a wide. They had an anthropologist come on, and, and as far as all the talking heads they had, they they kind of um, did the full spectrum of having different perspectives. On, uh, you know, even asking the question is, you know, this sort of disorder brought on by nature versus nurture. And they had sort of uh, arguments to both to both ends. So I I think they they actually did a pretty well researched, at least in the beginning. Now, the rest of the episode is is held together by a very thin thread. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, the, this first segment, uh, it, be- <laughs> it begins by referencing the, like, it's like, when we think of sociopath, uh, psychopaths, we think of uh, characters from the movies. And then they show some still images of, uh, I guess, like, black, Monsters from the black the and white teeth. era of cinema. Yeah, ones that mm-hmm. no one would recognize. I. Uh, I don't know if that's because yeah. they're like, well, I mean, obviously they could, can't put Dracula and Frankenstein and the mummy in there because the, the recognizable um, black and white monsters are, are you know, just these creatures, not uh, loony uh, uh, mm. characters. But yeah, I think it was also limited by the money they were willing to spend. And that was going to be the second thing I put in was that these were probably the like perhaps whoever made Unsolved Mysteries had the rights to these films. <laughs> so some intern was like, uh-huh. uh, "Well, these look like some interesting sc- screenshots. We'll use these." Mm. Now, if you were wondering about how far you're going to get into this episode uh, before hearing about Hitler, the answer was <laughs> I think three minutes. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hitler, uh, Hitler makes an appearance. Um, you know, uh, uh, they mentioned various serial killers: Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jeffrey uh, Dahmer so- was in the teaser for this episode. I remember that. And then they keep talking about like Jeffrey Dahmer. It gets mentioned two or three times. I feel like before we cut to commercial, to the point where I thought we were actually going to get a segment about Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, I'm. My suspicion there is, and I didn't look up precisely when this episode originally aired, but I'm assuming that Dollar must have just his situation must have just broken into the public knowledge by then, mm. or was you mm-hmm. know still sort of like an ongoing thing. Like perhaps perhaps the trial wasn't even complete or uh, really underway, so it was just sort of like. You know, the, he was the the hot topic around the water cooler, but they didn't really yet have the information necessary to do something on him, would be my suspicion. Um, it looks like Dahmer got picked up in 1991, so that would have been pretty much in the news when they were putting the show together. So that makes sense. Yeah. 
yeah, that's yeah, that's totally what I would think. Um, okay, and of and of course and of course Saddam Hussein, everyone's oh, yeah. favorite Can't character from the nineties. Storm. <laughs> Man, Desert Storm. So, gosh, the, yeah, they this segment like Saddam kind of just sort of works his way into it and takes over. Much like he did with Kuwait, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, and you know, what I notice, yeah, like one thing I notice, this segment it starts out, uh, it doesn't have a usual sort of title card like we have with the others, such as the unexplained or you know lost loves or whatnot, but it has mm-hmm. a a title card all of its own, um, diabolical minds apostrophe mm-hmm. case study. But it's yeah, and it's not done in the same thing where the letters come flying at the screen. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, they they wanted it to distinguish this um, because it does you know doesn't fit into any of the other segment categories. But they they, they didn't have time to put together uh, its own little title card with the flying text. And that's the theory I was running with for the th- first three segments. But then the mm-hmm. last segment. Has its own. It says it says diabolical minds, and it's that yellow text that comes flying at you. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, I don't understand what happened. Did I'm wondering if <laughs> if this is going to be a segment that comes up later on too. If there's if they maybe <clears throat> added the last segment from another episode. Where they're now okay. using diabolical minds as a segment type, perhaps, and yeah, just and they'll like we'll occasionally see this just when they get something or they're not quite sure how to describe it. Uh, I have a feeling that diabolical minds is going to be the new psymed of the series. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's like, uh, what, who was, it? I want to say it was Thurgood Marshall that, uh, in being asked to define pornography, he's like, I can't define it, but you know it when you see it. And I wonder if that's going to be the case. Was it Thurgood Marshall that said that? Survey said! I'm not correct. <laughs> someone, well, someone on the Supreme Court said that, but I mean, the, the premise of the statement is totally, totally spot on for this situation. Yeah, it's like I can't we can't exactly by the end of this episode define what a diabolical mind is, but you know what when you see it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so, so Saddam Hussein uh is our first case study which there isn't a whole lot of reenactment going on. There's a pretty gruesome story that is related by I don't know who the guy is, but it's a talking head who um tells a story about how Saddam Hussein uh, like you know, he would kill all his detractors or whatever. And when the war with Iran in the late 70s, late, I don't know, 80s, whenever. 80s, yeah. Thank you. Uh, was going really poorly. Um, he had asked his advisors, you know, to be as candid with him as possible. And so no one would. And then finally, I think it was the, like, I don't know, the director of Department of Health spoke up and said, you know, maybe you should, you know, resign as president temporarily and, and um, 
then be reinstated once we've uh, you know been successful with Iran. And um, and then Saddam Hussein thanked him for his candor, and then the man, his advisor, was taken out in cuffs <laughs> or whatever. And then, according to the story, um, the man's wife asked, you know, Saddam back for his for her husband back, and then the husband was returned to her the next day in a suitcase, cut up in bits. So, uh, I don't know how true that story is, and honestly. I mean, I understand the timing of this is too. It's coming right after the Gulf War is uh, either winding down. I'm trying to, I don't really know what the original air date was of this episode. Right. I suppose the wiki yeah. could tell me, but it, uh, I, I kind of got this feeling. It was like mm, a little bit of, a little bit of propaganda, right? It's a little okay, bit of yeah. the drumbeat of like why we need to go in and, uh, well, I, I think somewhere Saddam, in the segment, you know? I think somewhere in the segment, they make an allusion to him having been defeated by Desert Storm. So I think it's okay. It is it is in the immediate aftermath, but like the segment does, um, it's almost part of a. It seems like the whole '90s. There's this genre of like Saddam Hussein is the is the biggest uh, uh, enemy to the world in the mm-hmm. world sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the segment sort of falls into that uh, category because uh, they, you know, they, they sort of make these ominous illusions uh, to, to him and, and so forth. And it's just anyone who was around in the nineties remembers, you know, like, I mean, Saddam Hussein was just sort of, you know, if you needed a, a villain character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of a go-to to talk about. Uh, if you were big on Nostradamus stuff, you know he was going to be the the next Antichrist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you were, uh, you know, if if you were just uh, big on this or that, he he just he fit into whatever you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, he was just, it, he, he was, he was there all the time and, and yeah, unfortunately this, this show, this segment does seem to help contribute to the perception of like something needs to be, needs to be done about this man immediately, uh, sort of sentiment that feels like, uh, you know, after a decade would, would sort of lay the groundwork for, uh, this country going horribly astray foreign policy wise. <laughs> yeah, I'm just realizing though that there's might be people listening to this pod. Maybe there might be people listening to this podcast that were either came into awareness or were born after Saddam Hussein died. Mm-hmm. And then I got like existentially sad. <laughs> Oh God, I'm sorry, Crystal. Yeah, that, you know, well, it, I mean, they all they know is a post Saddam Hussein world. Exactly. Uh, I and mean, I'm not sad. I mean, I'm not sad about that. That's probably fine. But like, I, I so much of this stuff uh, is still relevant to our place, the United States place globally. 
He has mm-hmm. a lot of decision making around um, what to do about Saddam. So, uh, if you're going to take, you know, uns- unsolved mysteries <laughs> at face value with this segment, um, he's, you know, he's, he's like you said, he's the big baddie, and apparently he's a psychopath. But I, you know, I didn't, lo- I didn't do the research on this though. But I think there's some like pop science study that's frequently quoted as saying like you know, something like three to 4% of the general population exhibits these antisocial uh, behavioral disorder traits. But it's Mm -hmm. something like, um, you know, 50% of Fortune 500 CEOs are like sociopaths or something. I don't, I mean, I'm, that's not correct, but like, well, I think sociopaths are uh, overrepresented (laughs) in leading businesses. I think even the unsolved mysteries sort of. Oh, yeah. uh, Drops the savings in, and loan like, scandal. Yes, they, they did. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they. It was what when they start out with the intro. It was one of uh, what was what was the three things they started out with? They're talking about Hitler. No, or, it was Hitler. It was the savings and loan scandal in Saddam Hussein. If I recall. <laughs> so there you go, Chris. So they, uh, they, they give that its weight, and they I think do. one of the. One of the psychologists sort of type people they talked to was like talking about like only a, a small percentage of these um, people will actually engage in violent acts. The others, uh, you'll see them, you know, uh, this this sort of th- this this will manifest in them exhibiting behavior in the boardroom or there where they they seek to crush, <laughs> crush or in the children. bedroom, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not really, but yeah, no, I don't either. <laughs> um, okay, well, there. That's uh, so. That's Saddam. In yeah, a nutshell, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, Robbie, I think we've got to move on to perhaps one of the most interesting uh, segments I I've noticed on Unsolved Mysteries to this point. I think. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about let's talk about poison poisoning your family. Okay, I mean, so, I mean, in general, not you, not, yes? not, not 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 the listener, not my family. No, no, and I, not the listener's family. But no, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Marie Hilly's family. Yes, uh, Marie Hilly was a middle aged woman who lived in Alabama with her family, and. Um, we get most of the story from her adult son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's our talking head for this segment. Um, this is really the only segment, I think besides the last one, that has any sort of extensive reenactments going on in it. So, so Marie uh, was married to Frank, and they had two children, Mike and Carol. And so um, when Mike was young, he had a series of sort of undiagnosed stomach ailments, um, he, yeah. uh, I, which coincided with weirdly his mom taking out a life insurance policy on him weeks before. <laughs> There's a lot of life insurance policies being taken out in this yeah. segment. But isn't it weird to kind of, to take out a life insurance policy on a child under the age of 18? Isn't that kind of just odd? Because they're yeah, not, um, a wage earner. You know what I mean? So there's no like wage to be replaced if that person dies, which is typically why someone would have a life insurance policy, correct? 
but yeah, that that's really kind of the usual thing you would associate with it. And I mean, these. I guess if you're if you're a diabolical mind, you might look at it from the perspective of like, well, this kid is a a net negative financially, so mm-hmm. so is it like recuperating uh, an investment. Yes. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Well, I don't know what the terms of this life insurance policy were, but uh, the uh, Frank and Marie take one out on Mike. And then also around the same time, uh, Frank takes out a life insurance policy for himself uh, through his work. Um, so then Mike starts getting these really terrible stomach ailments. Mm-hmm. And um, he then goes off to college, though. And then suddenly he is better. But then, um, you know, I, I don't know how much time goes on between Mike going off to college and the next thing happening. But as we learn from Unsolved Mysteries, Marie was caught red handed uh, <laughs> with um, some guy she worked for in bed. Right. In her marital yes. bed. By Frank, and um, you know, subsequently their marriage starts falling apart. So uh, then Frank starts getting really sick with stomach mm-hmm. ailments, and um, according to the son Mike, you know, he thought because his mom was so tenderly caring for Frank at that time that maybe like it might save their marriage. But then Frank just gets re- really, really sick, and. They have a reenactment where he is uh, he is in the hospital sick, or and and she is still feeding him uh, his soups, mm-hmm. and like the the person playing uh, Frank in the reenactment, he has this face on it that I at first was like, curious, thinking like maybe he's trying to convey the idea that he's suspecting something's not right but then i realized that wouldn't make sense because then he he might have stopped it i i think if you if you really look at the expression on the reenactor's face he's Mm -hmm. going with the with the sort of um perspective that frank really hates this soup that he's being fed like Mm -hmm. whatever poison she's adding adding to this soup makes it taste horrible so when he's like no more no more. I, I, I just, like he's it's just like it's not because he's worried he's being poisoned. He's just like, God, that soup is so horrible. I just mm-hmm. God, I don't want any more of it. And yeah. it's really creepy in the reenactment where she's like, you got to keep your strength up here. Eat your soup. Um, Robbie, I have to ask you at this time. Do you like soup? Do you enjoy eating soup? Occasionally I open a can of Progresso. Um, you know, okay. if, it's a, if it's a cold day outside, you know, open up a can of that and heat it up and, yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, you know, it's a fun experience, but I, I guess I don't normally make soup a, a part of my diet. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming you bring this up because it does seem like in 99% of the cases, um, where we have a depiction of someone poisoning their spouse or family. Mm-hmm. Uh, soup is the food item 
yeah most commonly used for it's for the, high, yeah high. these uh the murder murder soup du jour <laughs> murder soup du jour yes that'd be uh, it well i i asked that question because i live with someone who i cook for who mm-hmm. refuses to eat soup and now i'm starting to wonder <laughs> if he has some sort of like unaddressed trauma <laughs> You're 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 suggesting that perhaps this individual had some sort of experience being poisoned via soup, and now it's maybe. just a stressful I mean, I don't know. Of soup. I'm I'm kind of wondering if maybe the 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 girlfriend before me like was slowly poisoning him with something in the soup, and now he knows better. He's like, yeah, fool me once, shame on you, fool me Should twice. <laughs> I, um, you know, I honestly have to say, I, <laughs> having watched this segment and having seen all other depictions of people being poisoned by family members or loved ones, soup seems suspicious. It just, it seems suspicious. And I, <laughs> I really, uh, I'm really loving that just now thinking uh, about that soup situation. <laughs> um, uh, well, I keep I keep saying I keep making soup and he refuses to eat it, and now I'm like, oh, it all makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, he thinks it, I'm trying to poison him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you might as well just be careful, right? Like, I mean, would it be yeah. possible to like be able to have a successful relationship with the diabolical mind as long as you just avoided soup? <laughs> I well, I I think I mean, my, you're just, my boyfriend you're is just, trying it right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, if you're just sort of you know, if you're really careful about like what you're allowing yourself to consume, you know, you just. You know, you're just just double checked, you know, on on the food. Just make sure it's not poisoned, and uh, you know you're not gonna get uh, you're not gonna get poisoned out like uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, like Mike did. Mm-hmm. Um. So about this point in the story, so Frank is getting just you know he's refusing the soup, but yet he's being fed the soup. Uh, Frank's seeing the doctor all the time. The doctor's giving more drugs. Uh, eventually, um, you know, under Nurse Marie's watchful eye, Frank passes away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I guess he dies at the hospital. Anyway, uh, so um, I'm not I'm not sure if Unsolved Mysteries said this or not, but the official cause of death listed for Frank at that time was hepatitis. Yes. Um, so... Marie, therefore, gets all the money from the uh, life insurance policy, and she starts tossing it around like real crazy. Uh, She buys a new car and all this clothing and jewelry, you know, the kind of stuff that um, they they have a reenactment of their money on. (laughs) Yeah, they have a reenactment of her like with shopping bags and boxes and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, just screaming like spin, spin, spin. Uh, she starts giving gifts to her family. 
Um, so, you know, $30,000 is a lot of money. This is, oh, I should mention, this is back in 1975. So doing carry the one, let's see, $30,000 is probably about $3 million in today's money. That is a scientific fact. You can look it up. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, so then, then we go back to Mike and Mike's saying, you know, he starts getting these calls from, from, uh, creditors and they want money from him and like. So, um, you know, Mike, uh, has, has, some, you know, he gets in touch with the family cause he's got to sort out like what the hell's the money situation with his mom is going on. Why are these creditors calling him? Um, then around that time, uh, Mike's younger sister, Carol starts suffering from the same like stomach problems that mm-hmm. Mike had, Mike had been ill with the last time he lived at home. Um, but I guess no one, no one at the time knew when Carol got sick that there had also been a life insurance policy purchased on her by the mother. Oh God! So, um, so Mike's trying to get in touch with Carol, but like the only people he can talk to are his mom and his mom's sister, and he finally says, you know, he's got to go home to to figure out, like, what's going on with the money, what's going on with the sister. So he goes back to Alabama. Um, Marie cooks him breakfast the first night that he, or the first morning he's staying with them. Immediately he becomes sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he goes home. And then, uh, you know, there's there's also this really creepy reenactment of Marie and Carol where Marie is saying, um, you know, I've got I got this experimental treatment from a nurse. Don't tell anyone, okay, because she wasn't supposed to give it to me, but I really think it'll help you feel better. And then um so Marie in the reenactment gives Carol a shot. But she like the look on her face when she's pulling out the hypodermic needle was like very <laughs> nurse ratchet situation. Oh God, yes. <laughs> Uh, so then Marie injects Carol with something. Um, only, of course, Carol just gets sicker. Uh, at some point, you know, Carol's no longer able to walk and she's just getting weaker and weaker. Um, so then Carol gets checked into the hospital as well. And it's finally at this point that uh, folks start getting suspicious <laughs> with what's going on. Right. And I don't remember if it was an attending doctor or a detective because suddenly all this attention's on Carol be- or sorry, Marie um was, was well, she pa- got arrested for pass or uh, passing off bad checks or something. Bad checks. Cuz she didn't yes. have any more money left. Um so th- now the like watchful eye of the law is zoomed in on Marie, right? And mm-hmm. um Well, and then so, I think it it, mm-hmm. it like this this break in uh, Marie being able because they they describe her being like ever present, ever watchful mm-hmm. for Carol, and this mm-hmm. break allows a situation where like one of Carol's friends uh, is visiting her, and Carol makes this almost a sort of offhand comment like, "Yeah, my mom gave me an injection of something," and the friend is like, "Your mom did," and so they, uh, Mike. Uh, via phone insist the doctors check on carol and they have a mm-hmm. little reenactment of a doctor you know just sort of checking her out and finding those those white lines across the fingernails that apparently indicate arsenic poisoning 
Mm-hmm. A, a neat little fact I wasn't aware of. Um, I didn't know that either. I know yes. a telltale uh, sign of um, carbon monoxide poisoning, like when people would die from it in like mm-hmm. cramped housing that wasn't ventilated well, is that they would have like really bright red cheeks. Huh. But I didn't know about arsenic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Um. So at this <gasps> point. Mike, Mike's just like, you know, his world's falling apart, right? He's like, oh my God, my mom obviously poisoned my father. So, you know, he's, he, uh, he's like, well, got to dig up dad, I guess. And so they do another autopsy on Frank's body and they find the same thing on his fingernails, uh, that, that they found on Carol. Um, so at this point, the police issue an arrest warrant. Well, Marie uh, skips town. I love how they have a little, just a few seconds where the woman who portrays Marie, they, they depict her getting in a car and driving away. And mm-hmm. she is wearing the classic woman on the run from the law look of a mm-hmm. scarf with sun uh, over her head with sunglasses. <laughs> I see that. I just automatically assume a woman's on the run. Yeah, you should. Yeah. That's fair. Uh so this so at this point, like, <laughs> it isn't even an unsolved mystery because we get the full story. Yeah. And it continues with Marie. So there is there's no there's not this isn't ending with a call to action or anything like that. It's just um they're just telling they're just using it, I guess, as an example as a female sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um because they, because we're gonna, you know, as Robert Stack tells us that uh, men have the most diabolical minds, which I don't know what the instance, actual running instance of uh, female psychopaths versus male psychopath <laughs> psychopaths is, but I think it's, I think that's probably fair to say. I think it's probably uh, more readily diagnosable or observed. In men than it is in women. Uh, but anyway, I'm not a doctor. Moving on. Okay, so Marie skips town. Fast forward. Uh, in 1980, uh, we're in a bar, and there is now a woman named Lindsay Robbie Hainan, or just Robbie, and she turns to this man at the bar, and she's like, "Can you have a kind of a light from a cigarette?" And then he's like, whoa, hot dog. His name is John. His name's John Homan. And so Marie makes up this whole story about how she's a widow and she had these dead kids or whatever. And um, but she's also uh, set to inherit her husband's uh, estate in Texas. Um, and then she also, for some reason, threw in a little spice of that she had advanced brain cancer. So, you know, John's thinking, hey, you know, hot lady, no strings attached, about to inherit a lot of money, and she's also going to die soon. Cool. Because that's the only reason, really, to get married to anyone. I yes. Guess. I, apparently. Um, <laughs> apparently. I mean, maybe John was also a diabolical mind. We don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, so I like, I like, you know, she, she came up with the name Robbie Hannon. Mm-hmm. And I just like the way they they made her look in the reenactment, like that the the selection of that name by 
by Marie. Mm-hmm. I feel like she came up with that name because it kind of it doesn't it doesn't sound too dissimilar from like Audrey Hepburn, mm. right? Like that that mm. that's 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 I think that's what she was going for. Maybe. Yeah, but but yes, um. she uh, uh, she ends up luring this guy into marrying her. Um, mm-hmm. For what purpose? I'm still not entirely sure what her her end goal was here. Did you I don't know that? because it gets so <laughs> insane from here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so the next year, uh, Robbie, still Marie, but we're calling her Robbie now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> tells John she has to go back to Texas uh, for some treatment because her brain cancer is is terrible like she was just sitting i i imagine she was just sitting around the house and was like oi my brain cancer so bad i gotta get it checked out i don't know uh so (laughs) robbie goes to texas and then she never comes back and um and then a while later now i'm reading the wiki here and it seems like unsolved mysteries really skipped out on some fun details (laughs) okay or maybe or maybe I just got distracted when it was uh, when it, when I was watching it. But it's so basically what happens is that John gets a call from a woman named Terry Martin who claims to be Robbie's twin sister. Yes. And Terry tells John that Robbie has died. Mm-hmm. Um, and Terry also tells John that you know all the funeral arrangements have been made. There's no need to come out here. It's all settled. You know, don't worry about it. Uh, her body's been donated for science. Like we don't need. It's fine. Um, I know she was your wife, but don't 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 pursue any sort of closure. <laughs> yeah, please, no more questions. Click. <laughs> Uh, but that's not that's not what happens. It gets weirder than that. So Terry actually, for whatever reason, goes goes out to Florida to visit John. And mm-hmm. in the reenactment, John is so sort of taken by um, how much Terry looks like Robbie. But at this point, Ro- Robbie, who's actually Marie. Yes. Has dyed her hair blonde, and I guess she lost like 20 pounds or something. So she, you know, looked slightly different enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so John, I don't remember if they mentioned this in the segment or not, but John actually like starts dating Terry. <laughs> I don't quite remember that being a thing when I watched the episode. I don't think it was mentioned, but this is, this is, I'm going di- to divert a little bit from the unsolved mystery story. <laughs> okay. Because this is so crazy. Um, oh wait, she, she, yeah, no, she does. I, they did mention that. Cause I remember the neighbors were like mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to find a polite way to be like, Hey, are you sure that's not the woman? You, that's not Robbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go well, on. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just that she was dating John. It's that she uh, started working at the job that she used to work at. <laughs> Wait, well, I, okay, I don't definitely don't remember that. <laughs> well, that happened. Um, oh Terry takes a job for the same employer that she'd worked at when she was Robbie, and 
A lot of coworkers immediately saw through this. <laughs> I, oh, okay. I, I, I kind of, in my mind, I pictured a, a delightful little scenario where one of her coworkers didn't pick up on it and was sort of like, you know what? I know this is going to sound horrible and I don't want to say anything. You know, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Robbie. God rest her soul. But mm-hmm. I kind of like Terry better. but yeah i guess really it makes more sense that everyone saw through it (laughs) yeah so finally john's uh i don't think they were given credit for this i don't remember what unsolved mystery says was sort of the final straw but um john's friends and family like are like dude what are you doing (laughs) this is the same woman she's conning you and um they get involved and they alert the police because they're like this is weird right and the police are like yeah and uh the police couldn't find a death certificate for robbie um they couldn't find any mention of the university to which her body was supposedly donated that was made up too Um, so Terry was taken in, uh, by the police. She was positively identified as Audrey Hilly, who was wanted for murder and writing bad checks back in Alabama because she was on the FBI's most wanted list, Mm. believe it or not. Uh, and so, (laughs) um, she's, so Marie is finally caught, uh, this is in 1983. So this is fully like eight years after she's murdered her husband, her first husband, Mm -hmm. um, and she is sentenced to life in prison. Then she escapes in 1987. And then finally, the, the end of the soap opera like saga of Marie Hilly is that after she escapes from prison, she dies in the wilderness of exposure um, <laughs> during the winter. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I didn't. I guess I didn't catch that. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> oh. But here's here's that's what unsolved mysteries tells us that she dies okay. of exposure. Okay, it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> okay. Um. So one week after her escape, so she's been out in the in the wilds uh, in the wintertime for a week. She made her way to her hometown of Blue Mountain, Alabama. And attempted to uh, contact a old friend to harbor her as a fugitive from prison. Oh, wow. Um, except the, this woman did not, like, like didn't know her. Like, I haven't seen you since we were, like, children. What the fuck? And, um, and then she thought she was just some crazy transient. And uh, she calls 911. At which mm-hmm. point... Marie uh, dies shortly afterwards. Oh, okay. Also, well, she's buried in Alabama alongside Frank Frank Hilly. Just in case you're wondering. What? Yeah. <laughs> Who? I, I guess that must have been a, a situation where they pre-bought their plots or something. Yeah, I guess. I can't imagine I Mike. Just- I can't imagine Mike seeming like the kind of guy who would be okay with that happening if he had a voice in the matter. Mm-hmm. I would not want the person who poisoned me to death being able to be buried next to me. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, also not in the episode, but as an aside, when they uh, 
what do you call it uh, when you dig somebody back up? Exhumed. Exhumed Frank. They also they also exhumed uh, Carol or Carol's Carol and Mike's maternal and paternal grandmothers, and did autopsies on them. Yeah. And both of them were also found to have arsenic in their body. Oh my god! <laughs> but but the okay. coroner concluded that they had actually died of cancer. So okay, so this they were being poisoned, but cancer got yes, them first. Cancer got them first. There's there's a lot. I mean, probably that it was just cut for time because this Marie Hilly story is an entire episode on its own. And in fact, some um, TV movies have been made about her. Oh, okay. um, but uh, or not TV movies. I'm sorry. There's just she's been featured as a story on a lot of other sort of these types of shows. But uh, yeah, that's that's the saga of Marie Hilly. It, it was it was definitely like this is the first really. I, I, I know we've gotten some poisoning situations happening, but this was the uh, first time where it was like uh, one of those moms poisoning the whole family situations that i i recall it was it was really interesting i kind of feel like because you know you you briefly mentioned people people you know they weren't really catching on to this idea uh when it was happening with marie and i wonder if it's just sort of like with our generation where we've probably been exposed to this idea more so that it's like not so unthinkable that like someone just poison like like every member of their family not just like i'm going to kill my murder my spouse it's just like i'm going to just slowly poison one by one everyone (laughs) yeah well you know there's i thought this had some some i mean obviously the life insurance policies really make this kind of a more straightforward thing like she had a oh motive. yeah yeah the life insurance well, yeah the- <laughs> but uh you know this st- at first i was kind of thinking this sounds a lot like these stories we hear of munchausen by proxy which is a situation where uh some someone in a family pretends usually the caregiver pretends or forces an illness upon a child or otherwise dependent family member so yeah. they can dote on them and give them attention it's a really complicated psychological thing i don't think this was that i think this is pretty much a to b she just wanted the money and she is in fact a sociopath and didn't really care that she was killing her family i think that's pretty much what this comes down to but the whole thing with the twin and coming back and then dating the second husband i don't know that was like (laughs) some wild shit if you you under different circumstances, you could make the segment start out with that, like this guy marries this gal, and then she dies, and then the, the you know her tw- alleged twin sister comes along, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but then she gets arrested because uh, turns out she's a murderer, and then you sort of flash back and and mm-hmm. uh, uh, resume the uh, the story at you know at the beginning of um, uh, Frank and Mike's. Uh, encounter uh situation yeah this this was this was this was a very interesting segment all the way through i give it a thumb up um i mean just wow just wow uh robbie i think we need to move on though to to daniel 
Jadaniel. Table. Car. Mother. Weather. Murder. Rape. Robbie, are you giving me the uh, replicant (laughs) test from Blade Blade Runner? What are we doing here? (laughs) It is strange that this, they have this, yeah, the segment is ostensibly about this guy named G. Daniel Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, Who, you know, he was uh, arrested for uh, murder stuff. Um but we don't really get a reenactment of that crime uh, because it's not an unsolved mystery. We know what happened. Uh, instead, this uh, it feels like we basically uh, somehow unsolved mysteries got their hands on an interview b- between an FBI agent and and this G. Daniel Walker guy. And they just sort of fleshed out a segment around it. Uh, you know, giving us some background on what what he got up to and whatnot. And then they, they bring back in the, some of the same psychologist guys from earlier in the episode. And, and in fact, I say bring back in, but I think in some ways, I, I think this is just they ha- maybe they had extra footage of those those expert guys. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of sprinkled it around to to fill out this thing. And of course, we also get some more more stock footage of Hitler. Because uh, why not? But th- it's cheap, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I think. But what's really weird is this segment starts out not about G. Daniel Walker. It just sort of feels like they they had like a few minutes of. Uh, of of this stuff that they they were able to sort of just cram in to right before they start talking about him, where it's uh, they show, I, I guess this guy has this idea for a test where he's showing emotional and non-emotional words, and the idea is that a someone with a, a normal mind will respond to certain words at a different speed than um, like uh, will respond to emotional words at a different speed than non-emotional words. While Mm -hmm. if you're a say diabolical mind, you're not going to have any Mm -hmm. difference between responding Mm -hmm. to like table and murder. Mm hmm. And so they basically spend about a minute talking about this test and it never gets mentioned again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And then, yeah, we got stock footage of Hitler and Saddam Hussein. And then they, they, they start, you know, we, we get to this uh, talking about this G Daniel Walker. um, He, you know, murderer, rapist, uh, all around scumbag who, Subsequently, in uh, while he's in the court system, he see, apparently he's he's found ways to uh, to to extract extra benefits uh, mm-hmm. because he's like a particularly litigious uh, litigious. He likes to sue a lot. And litigious. 
Yes. And so he like he got like his own a computer for his own use, right? Yeah, yeah. He has like an office in the in the course <laughs> or, or, or something. Court, yeah. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, and and he gets like several days a week. He gets a, he gets he gets like a little field trip where he gets to go and and use that yeah. and, and and use the resources of the court to find new ways to sue the system. And like he basically mm-hmm. is just harassing everyone. Judges, prosecutors, uh, uh, guards at the prison. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they run this interview with him. And it's kind of a, it's, it's, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's interesting kind of seeing him talk and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, they, they mention the, the way that this is edited was really useful and interesting, I think, because they talk about certain behaviors that psychopaths demonstrate. And so yeah. they would say, okay, a psychopath will try to rationalize something, but if you really listen to what they're saying, it makes no sense. And then they give an example of G. Daniel Walker doing that very thing. Oh, yeah, um, where he's basically like, yeah, prison's a pretty great place. I don't have to make yeah. my own breakfast. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about doing my laundry. <laughs> yeah he talks about being married to the institution and how it's really working out for him but then he's also he he, later in the segment he talks about how he's escaped 13 times right right yeah so it's like well it's not that great but then he talks about how like he likes the thrill of being chased and that that's better than sex and i'm like "Mm, is it um i don't know because i've never run from the law (laughs) I'm just that kind of coward. Uh, and then there was another example that they gave. I think it was something like, um, oh, the uh, the psychopath will try and equivocate with you. So basically say, oh, here's some things that I, I like to do, and surely you like to do them too. And and then they cut to G. Daniel, G. Daniel, as I'm calling him, G. Daniel, um, doing that very thing with the FBI interviewer, which is basically saying like, Oh, you and I are actually very much alike. And it's like, I feel like that's not true, dude. Okay. Um, You, you like to bust guys and it feels good, right? If it feels good knowing you've, you've beaten them. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, And then there's some, some bit about Daniel um, ordering some poison from overseas. And then he gets the, and then the poison is there and he's trying to like, I don't know. And then he goes on this and then he himself goes on this whole rant about how like he knew for a fact a district attorney had like thrown out all the toothpaste and other things he p- used in his medicine cabinet and like he even ended up selling his own house because he was so afraid of J- Daniel coming after him with this poison. I'm like, how would he even have this information about like that the DA threw away his toothpaste. Like, this is right? complete fabricated bullshit. Ah, yes, yes. How I mean, how would someone in prison have the information as to whether to know? I mean, you know, maybe rumors fly around prison or whatever, but like, I don't well, think he knows exactly in detail what the DA. The, the did. only thing I, the only thing I can think of is maybe he was suing for that information. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I don't. I just. There's Robbie, it occurred to me as I was watching this, I have met casually so many psychopaths in my life. Okay. Um, just tell people who really are, huh? I was just saying, tell me more. 
Oh, I just, um, it's just, there's just some really recognizable stuff. And, um, I, you know, I don't mean to armchair analyze these people, but it's kind of like, like, you know, when you see it and once you've Mm -hmm. run into it out there in the world, it becomes abundantly obvious. Like people just don't have normal empathetic reactions to, Mm -hmm. um, things that are happening around them and their reactions are very antisocial let's say (laughs) you find a tortoise in the desert you turn it over (laughs) onto its back it's baking into the heat only you're not helping it what do you mean i'm not helping it i mean you're not helping it Uh, I, you know, I think that's perfect, and we should just move on. To the last yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. Now, the last segment in this episode is an actual unsolved mysteries segment. Uh. Yeah, this is a hard pivot back to the normal format. I thought. Right. Um. It concerns uh Joan, Michelle, and Christy Rogers. Um. Uh. Uh, a mother and their two daughters they were in florida you know doing florida vacation stuff disney world kennedy space center and so forth and they as part of their trip they stayed at this motel in tampa and there's not i mean what reenactments we get is just sort of them checking into the motel room and uh we kind of have we have a cut to like the coast guard or whoever um finding these bodies in the bay that were weighed down with cinder blocks but i guess like just i mean would one cinder block i mean because the bodies were portrayed as sort of you know they're, they're floating on the surface so mm-hmm. i mean one cinder block is that not going to like pull a body down to the bottom is that just sort of gonna like i i i I wasn't quite sure what the you know Mm. what the purpose of those were but i think the i mean there's probably some sort of uh, equation to figure out how much weight you need for something to counteract the buoyancy of something else to actually drag it down yeah but i don't know what that is okay (laughs) so so yeah but anyway uh Unfortunately, the bodies found in the bay were Joan, Michelle, and Christy. Um, they had been murdered uh, and I guess also sexually assaulted prior to their deaths. So uh, the, the authorities, they didn't really have any information uh, like a, a, a suspect or a description or anything. Mm-hmm. So um, they kind of, they work in the diabolical minds uh, aspect by just sort of talking about how uh, they, they basically had to like, just try to construct a, a what they could for a profile on, on this potential mm-hmm. person. Um, and so they, uh we we don't really have very much more in the way of reenactments except the the show uh they they depict Joan Michelle Christie getting onto a boat in the uh, bay i mm-hmm. guess the 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 
the extrapolation that they came to was like they were sort of lured onto this boat like oh we're gonna have a nice little boat ride around the bay um and the the whole key to finding what happened on this was uh uh some someone had witnessed a blue and white boat in the parking lot of the motel so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess through that they were able to extrapolate. Uh, I, I would assume this guy was maybe at a guest at that motel or something, and uh, he, you know, he, he talked with them in the parking lot or something, or made their acquaintance during their stay. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go take my boat out, blah blah blah, and and, and that's how how he got them to show up to the pier or the the dock mm-hmm. or wherever. Uh, and then we we have a follow up. Very quickly, it lets us know this this dude got captured. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, his name was Oba Chandler. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, he got found guilty. Got got sentenced to death and was executed. I'll give you. I'll give a follow up though. I think unsolved mysteries maybe left some information out here because. Oh. For what it, and I understand why the police would not want, or the FBI would not want to make this public information. But uh, apparently, there was enough of an MO that led them to believe that this had happened before, um, and that they could connect him with some other, um, ki- for some other killings. Okay. Uh, but I can understand why they did not want to release those particulars to the public at the time that this aired. Um, so. They did execute him. He was also involved. He was involved with a rape back uh, in 1989. Um, oh. And then uh, the authorities, this is from the wiki, but the authorities say that they think Chandler was involved in several other un- unsolved abductions, rapes and murders dating back to the 1960s. And then in February of 2014, uh, DNA testing connected him to the 1990 rape and murder of uh, someone else. And so they confirmed that he was, in fact, a serial killer. So Unsolved Mysteries uh, was kind of like predicting it. But I think they were predicting it because the FBI had some more oh, detail. Oh, OK. That makes sense. That, that about makes sense. the whole about the um, the Rogers murder. Yeah, the Rogers murders that they probably there was something going on that made made them connected with another case. But they just didn't want to mention it at the time that this aired. So, yeah. Is my thinking yeah. about that. You know, Robbie, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, back in September over Labor Day weekend, I hired, I chartered a boat. <laughs> it doesn't sound immediately familiar. Uh, tell me was, about seems, this boat <laughs> situation. Now, now that I say it out loud, it seems kind of tasteless for me to bring it up right now. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it on a future episode when it's a little less raw? Uh, Yeah, probably. Okay. Hey. If you if you like reenacted and unsolved mysteries podcast, follow us on Twitter at reenacted pod. Uh, you, we have a Facebook we have Facebook presences of various forms, and you can Do send we- us an e- email at reenactedpod at gmail dot com. Yeah. Um, oh, and also we have the Patreon, so that's been very helpful. Thank you for everyone who is chipped in for that that's uh helps us keep keep this 
train on the rails. That's uh, patreon.com slash reenactedpod if you want to become an official rumper. Um, and then sometimes, like, Robbie will, like, drop things in the mail for you as, like, a treat. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, Robbie, that's it. Do you want to do the thing? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, 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 I'm on Tinder Hugs. Thank you for joining us for Diabolical Minds. Um, uh, join us next time for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs>